continuing this series, but I um, wanted to start by uh, just addressing clearly everything going on. And um, I hate that what I'm about to do is going to fall so short of communicating and expressing how tremendously grieved Hurting, sad, confused, shocked, and just really heartbroken over not just the death of of George Floyd, but the pain that is rippling through uh, so many people, but especially inside the church, and um, our black and brown brothers and sisters in Christ. I uh, have been sick all day and this weekend thinking about and praying about and fasting about how to use just the moments we have here tonight. And um, I, uh, I want you to know that we are standing with you, that we are praying with you, and that I see you as more family and more blood than members of my own family who don't know Jesus. There's a saying that blood is thicker than water, which means just family runs deeper than friendships. And while blood is thicker than water, the cross is thicker and stronger than them both. And you are uh, our brothers and our sisters, and we mourn and are just really grieved alongside of you. And are listening. And when you hurt, we are hurting with you and are so grateful that we get to be in a family that it has all of the different spectrums of ethnicity and race and you matter and um, all the pain that you're feeling we are heartbroken over so let me pray and uh, we'll dive in Father I, I do thank you that because of the cross of Christ every person red, yellow, black, and white, who trusts in you is connected and bonded and sealed and kindred spirits for all of eternity because they have the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would continue to eradicate and expose and remove injustice, racism, police brutality, and all kinds of evil from our land. Would you help us as the church to cling to you 
to love one another and to look like you did when you walked this earth. So help us, God. Would you fill in gaps just with your grace, even on, I know there are no words and no things that can be said that in a message can heal so much of the pain that's being felt. But you can. And so help us. In Christ's name, amen. Um, well, if you're listening and joining us online, there's a handful of, of friends and volunteers that are here. And um, I thought I'd start by asking just a question that'll give us some direction for where we're going tonight. Um, if there was one sin that you could remove from the earth, what would it be? One that you are most angry, opposed to, what would you say? What would you say? Yeah. Pride. What would you say? Lust. Murder. Other ones? Rape. Prejudice. Abuse, hatred, jealousy. Those are great ones to remove. I think if you look at scripture and you ask that question, which sin is God most opposed to? There's one that over and over and over he seems to highlight, and it is the sin of pride. He says in Proverbs 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 13, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. He says in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, the high and lofty one, God, who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this, I live in the high and holy place and with those whose spirits are humble, are contrite and humble. That he says, hey, I dwell not only in eternity and heavens of heavens, in the highest place, but also only with the humble. Over and over and over, the scriptures say, God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. The image is like, hey, you're in a boxing ring. You got you over here if you're proud, and God over here. And that's how he feels towards pride. What's crazy about pride is, honestly, it's one of the more acceptable sins, I think, in most of our lives or in my life. Like, if I was up here and I was like, hey, I've just been struggling with any of the ones or a lot of the ones that you just... Name, like, hey, I've been struggling with abuse or I've been struggling with, you know, having sex outside of marriage with someone other than my wife. Most of you would be like, dude, what? You just lost the right to talk up here. But if I was to say, man, I've been struggling with pride, most of us would be like, ah, who isn't, right? Like, it's one of the more acceptable ones that we feel or we're almost so accustomed to. And yet when you read the Bible over and over and over, God is so clear. I am opposed to pride, partially because so many of the other sins we're going to talk about in this series of seven deadly sins, which is a funny title because every sin is by definition deadly. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But we're just grabbing these huge pillars of sins that our generation can wrestle with and tonight on pride. And one of the reasons God is opposed to it is because as many theologians have said for a long time, you can trace the root of so many other sins back to pride. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Sexual sin, anger, greed, drunkenness, etc., are all nothing in comparison to pride. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. In other words, 
Satan was cast out of heaven because he wanted to be God, which was pride. Pride leads to every other sin. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. God hates pride because it kills relationships and pride will keep you out of heaven because it will not allow you to say, I need a savior. The challenge of a message like this, let you into the preaching world, is pride is a weird topic because people who are proud are not gonna listen to a message on pride because they don't think they need it. So it's a frustrating thing because the people who actually need to hear it are the ones that are least likely to. And so if you're listening right now and you're going, oh man, pride, that really doesn't apply to me. I'm not really a prideful person. You are exactly the person I'm talking about. And pride, to any degree that it creeps into our life, is always toxic and poisonous, especially to relationships. What we're about to discuss, if the church will do, it won't overnight heal every problem that's taking place. It won't overnight remove and eradicate racism. But it will move the church in the direction of unifying together and bringing healing into our world, what we're about to talk about for the next 25 minutes. So I just want to walk through uh, Philippians chapter 2, where Paul talks about pride and humility. I'm going to incorporate some other scriptures that will inform it, but I just want to talk about how pride presents, what it looks like, what pride prevents in our life, and then where pride ends. So if you're taking notes, those are the three ideas I just want to talk through from Philippians chapter 2. Philippians, Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, this letter that he wrote from a jail cell. Today we call it Philippians, or the letter of Philippians. And here's what he says in verse 3 of chapter 2. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress other people. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest or look out for the interests of others. As we launch into a conversation about pride and humility, one of the challenges is that pride masquerades or wears different faces when it surfaces in our life. Like pride inside of all of our lives looks different in different ways. It can come up and pop up and it's not always overtly, like sometimes it's easy to spot the guy who's like overly cocky. He's still talking about his high school football days and how great he was and just he's all about himself. That person, it's clear like, man, that guy's arrogant. He struggles with pride. But pride, this obsession with self and self-focus, which is what pride is, can pop up in a lot of different ways. It can pop up as self-love, but it also pops up as self-hate. Because at the center of your thoughts and your focus and all of those is still self. Both of those can be pride. Pride can pop up as insecurity, where I'm afraid to talk and I'm afraid of what other people think about me. Because at the center of your thought is still you. I'm constantly looking like some of some people like there are people who are tremendously quiet who struggle with incredible pride because they're just afraid. There's times the Bible commands us to speak and they're afraid to speak because they're afraid of, oh, no, what are people going to think? That's pride. It's not always overtly clear if somebody's struggling with pride, with pride. It can also look like being judgmental towards other people who struggle with sins, sexual attractions, who have challenges or struggles in their life that you don't and you look down on or I look down on them because of it. Pride also looks like taking credit for things that you didn't earn, you didn't deserve, that everything that you've been given, the Bible says, is all a gift of God's grace in your life. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 says this, what do you have that you did not receive? The way that you look, The mind that you have, the job that you have, the family you were born into, the city that you live in, everything, Paul says, is something that's foolish to be proud about because all of it was a gift that you can't take credit for. You're not responsible for being born into whatever family you were. 
And you may be thinking, no, but I work hard at my job. You're not responsible for having the mind that God gave you that allowed you to work, for having legs that allow you to get up and move around every day. Paul says everything has been a gift from God and it's foolish and pride looks like, hey man, I'm taking credit because I worked really hard, I earned this. Pride looks like entitlement instead of gratitude. I'm focused on what I don't have that other people had. Again, at the center of that is self. Pride looks defensive. Man, I hate this one because I is this one and that a lot of times in my life, defensiveness can pop up where I will dismiss or defend, or I don't want to listen. And at the center of that is a pridefulness that thinks that I'm right. Pride can look in all these different ways instead of our life. Pride can look like shame. And you may be going, pride, shame, or guilt? For a Christian who's trusted in Jesus, pride can look like shame because anytime that I rehearse that and I just get covered in shame, I am saying that my sin is more powerful than the grace of God. Or my sin is more powerful than what Christ did. My actions are more powerful than the actions Jesus took on the cross. Pride can pop up in all kinds of forms in our life. It can look like being stressed out because I'm so worried and I feel like the entire world rests on me, which is a lie. And that's pride. And it still has me at the center of it. Pride can look like being easily offended. Like somebody who's prideful is often easily offended because, hey, you hit self and the most important important thing in the universe is myself and you offended me. Pride can pop up in lots of different ways. Pride looks like unwillingness to apologize until someone else owns their part. I know Josiah's been there before and uh, (laughs) I'm totally kidding. We all have. Pride looks like I'm unable to see anything other than, you know, the issues and the reasons why I'm justified in not doing something else and I don't have to move towards towards that person. That's pride. Pride, even in this moment for me, is more concerned about what you and you think of what I'm going to teach tonight than what God thinks about what I'm going to teach tonight. Pride can pop up in lots of different ways. One exercise that would be helpful you should consider doing, because pride is a little bit like bad breath. If you have it, you can't really tell that you have it, is to ask people in your life, how do you think pride manifests itself in my life? My guess is they're going to have an answer. You probably won't like the answer because you're prideful, just like I am, but knowing How does pride pop up in my life? This week I I did that practice with several different people and and asked, hey, how do you feel like pride pops up in my life? And the answer multiple times was, you have a bent and in default, you think that you are right, always. And that makes you less quick to listen and less quick to be empathetic. And I hate it. And they're right. And I'm prideful. And there's areas where I need God to come in and expose and kill. I don't know what areas you have, but you need to know how does pride pop pop itself up in my life? And if you don't think it does, you have deceived yourself and you are prideful. And having other believers in your life that can help you go, hey, this is how pride is going to pop up. Or this is how I've seen it pop up in your life. Ask them that question this week. If they take nothing else away from this message, if you just get that, you will be on the step towards not allowing pride to kill relationships and kill your faith. Paul, in defining humility, he also gives us a look into what pride prevents us from having in our own life. So the second idea from this text is just here's what pride prevents, specifically relationships. Pride is the enemy of relationships. Like Paul is saying, hey, in humility, look to other people, care and be concerned about the needs of other people, 
Be less concerned about yourself and more concerned about others. And pride comes in and it says, don't care about them. You need to focus on you. They're all wrong. It begins to turn your focus inward and it creates a prison where I begin to lock other people out. I lock God out and myself in where I'm not willing to listen to others. Pride right now looks like a white person saying, I didn't do anything wrong or I didn't do anything racist. Let's move on without first listening. Pride can look like a black person saying, man, this is never going to change. I'm over it. I'm done. Both of those things can be anchored in pride. And anytime pride is present, the enemy or Satan is working and winning and wants to take that and drive as deep as he can a wedge and division because he hates relationships and pride is the enemy of relationships. It kills them every single time. Pride will prevent and shut you out from true greatness in your life because in order to be truly great, Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, that involves you serving other people, not focusing on yourself. In Mark chapter 10, verse 43, he said this, whoever wants to be great must be your servant. He redefines what greatness is. This is what greatness is. This is why pride prevents you from ever having true greatness because you're unwilling to be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For the son of man, that's God, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Serving requires humility. Pride also prevents you from growing. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says, the way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. You know what's interesting about that verse? I think everybody thinks for the most part, what's right to them is right to them. Like most of us are not like, you know, this is what I believe, but I'm pretty sure I'm wrong. Most of us think I'm right. The difference in the verse is that one is willing to listen to others and receive instruction and one is not. The fool is just saying, I know I'm right. I'll always be right. There's nothing I'm missing here. And the wise person, it's not that they don't still think they're right. They're just willing to listen. Pride prevents you from growing because it prevents you from listening, from growing, from receiving feedback from other people in your life and in your world. And to the degree that you are unwilling to listen to others is the degree to which you are not going to grow. Grow in your faith, grow in maturity, grow overall. Finally, pride prevents you from a relationship with God. Pride prevents you from coming to a place where you say, man, I need a savior. I don't need just another chance. I'm not a good enough person. It prevents you from seeing God as perfect and holy and you not being worthy of it. Jesus in Matthew chapter five, and one of the first words that we're told that he taught people, he said, blessed are the spiritually poor or the poor in spirit for they will receive or for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be spiritually poor? It means I see myself as not worthy, that if I'm gonna have a relationship with the God who's there, it's not because I earned it or I deserve it. It's because God is going to initiate and God has provided a way for that to happen. If you can't come, and candidly, this is the issue, I think, that sends more people to hell than any other issue. They never arrive at a place where they see themselves as, look, I'm not a good enough person. I'm not ever going to be deserving of a relationship with God. I try to pay my taxes. I try to be nice. I give, you know, to the poor every once in a while and five bucks to the guy in the corner. But I'm not a good enough person. Most people hide behind like, no, I'm really, at the end of the day, like I'm a good person. God, you know, I'm sure he's going to accept good people. The Bible says 
There are no good people. And only those who recognize that they bring nothing to the table and are willing to accept the free gift that God has given are going to experience eternity with God. Pride doesn't just kill relationships here. It will end or keep you out of heaven. It's a thing that through Satan, as I mentioned early, and so pride, satanic in many ways. As I mentioned earlier, pride also puts you in the opposition of God. Over and over, three times in the New Testament, it says the same phrase. It's really interesting. If you're God and you're writing, you know, inspiring the writers, and over and over, he includes this phrase that, hey, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud to gives grace to the humble. It's as though uh, he's defining or helping you see what people who God is along with or on the same team as and those who he is opposed to or playing in opposition against. Hey, these people who are on my team, they're clothed in humility. Those who are not on my team, they're clothed in pride. I mean, think about that. You guys remember when we had sports? RIP, when that was a thing, you could tell a team by what? You could tell who was on what team? By the jersey that they were wearing, right? From the biblical perspective, pride is the jersey of the opposing team. That God says, man, you, if that is what you're wearing, you are in opposition to me. Anytime that is the attitude or the posture or the way that you are operating, You and I place ourselves in the opposition of the thing that God wants to bless and that God does bless. God hates pride because it kills relationships and it kills people's ability to have a relationship with him. Pride is the thing that is killing our country right now. Pride was the original sin that was introduced when white superiority and white pride was introduced, that there could be inferior races. Pride continues to plague and be a part of dismantling and dividing and creating division and an unwillingness to come together and say, man, I want to listen and I want to listen to you and I want to hear and both sides doing that will continue to perpetuate division and it is killing our country. This obsessiveness of self is killing just society and it will kill our faith and it will kill relationships. Do you guys know how many selfies a day are taken in the world? Take a guess. A million. It's not a bad guess. Two million? 100 million. Close. 93 million. That's what I read this week. 93 million selfies. The selfie apparently came onto the scene in like 2011. Uh, You know, and who knows if before that people were turning around a Kodiak camera that they wind (laughs) up and take it. But at least in then, with smartphone and all those things, and that, that terminology kind of got launched on the scene. And since then, people have been, you know, taking selfies. It's kind of a, a picture, really, of how society has only further moved more and more towards a focus on self. Do you guys know what? There's something called um, selfie, death by selfie. And it, it's pretty tragic, honestly. Death by selfie is uh, what they would term the hundreds of people who, in an effort to get the best selfie possible, ended up dying because they fell off some cliff in Machu Picchu or they got attacked by a walrus uh, that actually happened or they, they fell off some cliff. In order to get the best possible picture of themselves in the place that they were at, they ended up losing their life. But through a selfie and self-focused, it cost them their life. And it is costing the self-focused pride. Anytime it enters any of our hearts, it will cost you relationships. It will cost you future marriage. It will cost you your life and your eternal life. 
if you're not willing to, through humility, accept you're unworthy and undeserving of a relationship with God. And it's killing and will kill our country. But it doesn't have to. And Paul says, humility should mark the people of God. Which brings us to our third point, which is where pride ends. He lays out what humility is, and then he says this. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, or the same mindset. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being, When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Paul lays out and gives us the greatest picture of humility that there could ever be. And he says, Jesus not only had a mindset of humility, it led him to actions and moved him to act in humility by humbling himself to such a great extent that I'm confident no illustration I could possibly give would put into words what it just said. It just, the passage just said, though he was God, period, anything that it follows up with after that, that doesn't include he decided to destroy anybody who opposed him or he decided, you know, I'm just gonna start this whole universe over or I'm gonna make up some, anything that would involve him saying, I'm going to go to the world I created to become like one of the humans that I created and to die in the place of all people everywhere and for all people everywhere. The analogy has been used that it would be like, you know, if you had an ant farm and you were like, man, I want to save this ant farm. And so you decided because you were God, you could become an ant. You became an ant. And then the ant farm rallied around. It was like, get rid of him. And they decided to crucify and kill you. But even that would fall incredibly short of the eternal, perfect, holy God who came into this earth, reflected perfection, did nothing wrong, was completely wronged, though he was completely right himself. And yet he made the move and sought to reconcile to such a link that it wasn't just, you know, he he said, um, he initiated the apology conversation. He was willing to move to such a degree that even if it cost him being crucified, For people who didn't respect him, who didn't want him, who didn't care about him, he was willing to do it. And Paul instructs that as a church, what should mark us is the mindset and the movements of humility. It's been said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking about others more or thinking about yourself less. It's moving towards people in the conversation. It's moving towards and owning your part even before they've ever said they're sorry. Humility is a thing that allows you to do things like this. Some of you may have seen pictures of police officers and people protesting. Here's another one. You can't have that without humility. Here's another one, the last one. That's something that doesn't take place unless one person is willing to say, hey, I'm not here to you know, choose sides or decide who's wrong or who's right. I'm here to move towards unity and healing and coming together. And you cannot do that without humility. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, all of you, clothe yourself 
with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. He says the analogy of wearing humility continually. It's like clothes that you wear. Just like you get up and every day you put on clothes to go to your job. You never would go to your job without wearing clothes. Peter says that's the way you're to think about humility. Which makes sense because the moment that humility is something that I'm like, oh man, I feel like I'm being humble right now. Five minutes later, I'm angry, I'm defensive, I'm dismissive, I'm prideful. And he says you've got to constantly be putting this thing on. Like something that you wear. What's further interesting is humility is one of those things that, man, it just looks good on everybody. Like unlike pride, that looks good on nobody. Like the guy who's like, I want to talk about me, myself, and I, and let me tell you how great I am. That guy is repulsive, or that girl is repulsive. Am I right? Like if you're listening and you want to be more attractive overnight, I'm about to give you the key. If you were hit by the ugly stick when you were born, this will make you more attractive by the time this message is over. Just be (laughs) humble. Am I wrong, ladies? Am I right? Like the guy who's like, hey, he's, I'm not here to take credit. I'm here to give credit. I'm here to serve. I care about you. They're going out of their way and they're like, I'm so sorry. Was that, was that over the line? You're like, why are you even apologizing right now? And they are overly humble. It's unbelievably attractive. And the same thing is how unattractive pride is in our lives. It, it's at the same time, not always very comfortable to put on humility. In other words, it's like this thing that is so attractive when you wear it, but it's also uncomfortable, you know, kind of when you wear it. Because I think sometimes we think like, oh, you know, when I'm humble, it'll feel comfortable. I don't think it feels comfortable all the time. I think there's times where I have to be like, look, um, I don't want to move forward in this conversation and own my part, but that's because I'm prideful. So I'm making the decision. I'm pushing through it. I'm not letting pride own me. I'm going to decide, hey, will you please forgive me? I'm going to make the phone call. I'm going to initiate and take the first step. It's not always comfortable, but it's the thing that I'm supposed to wear. It's like anything that our ladies probably can relate to. There's items of clothing that you're like, yeah, hey, it's not the most comfortable, but it's my favorite item. I feel like I I like how I look the best in it. This is just a dangerous ground that I'm walking on right now. Um, But it's like that. It's that item that it's not always comfortable. It's always attractive, and it's always the thing that brings healing and allows relationships to flourish. And Peter says, and the Bible affirms, it's something that you and I are to put on every single day. I have a friend who thinks of just his day in the morning and he begins to think through all the different ways he needs to put on humility as he anticipates, I'm going to go in that meeting, I'm going to be tempted to be prideful or defensive or angry or, uh, or hurt or, and I need to put on humility. I want to think through the lens of the other person. I want to think through how to care for them. And he says he goes through and every single day he begins, starts his day, part of it, by thinking through, how do I put on humility and everything that I'm going to face and experience today? What does that look like? And Peter says, every day you wake up, you put it on, you put it on. The two ways that Scripture just pointed out is humility towards God and towards other people. Humility towards God and that I trust God's timing. Hunter, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he will lift you up in due time. I trust his timing over the circumstances and the story he's writing in my life. I trust his timing over when I'm going to get married. I trust his timing over the opportunities or lack of opportunities that I have at work. I trust God in the midst of all of it. I'm humbling myself and trusting. He's sovereign over everything that I'm experiencing and facing. I trust him. And then it's also acting towards others and serving other people. It's seeking to serve. It's being humble towards other people. Seeking to be quick to listen and put on humility through my actions. I don't know what Jesus would call you in your life right now 
to do in terms of humble. But I know that that mindset is supposed to lead to actions in all of us. So some of us may need to lead this message and you gotta go pick up the phone. You gotta make a phone call. Whatever length he would call you to, I know it's not as far as he went. By humbling himself to such a point that he would even die a criminal's death on a cross. I don't know where pride manifests itself in your life. And I don't know where you need to move in through the uncomfortable action of humility. But to all of us, Jesus says, this is the thing that brings healing and no one is being asked to go anywhere or to any place that is farther than the links that I went for you and for me. Humility really is like habits, like these humble habits. And so as we kind of wrap up, here's what I, I really, I hope you leave here. I hope you hear me. I want you to pick a fight with your pride. I want you to pick a fight and say, hey, I'm not going to let you control my life anymore. Like you don't get to control my relationships anymore, pride. You for the last 22 years, you have decided whether or not I'm going to keep being friends with somebody because once I get hurt, I'm out of there. Or once I accidentally hurt somebody, I'm like, oh, they're so offended so easily. So I'm out of here. We're not even friends anymore. How long are you going to live that way? How long are you going to let pride decide and determine your relationships? How long are you going to let pride not allow you to have a relationship with your sister or your parent or your old roommate, or that friend? How long are you gonna hide behind your pride and blame other people, or point the finger, be unwilling to own your part, whatever it is in whatever conflict there is? How long? I just want you to answer honestly to yourself. I think I'm gonna do it for the rest of my life. Just own it, just say it, just live in that and embrace it. But for the rest of us, the scripture clearly calls us, hey, I want you to pick a fight with your pride. It doesn't have to control you. And the way that you decide it's not controlling me is by pushing through even when it's uncomfortable. I'm not going to allow my feelings, my pride to determine my life. Tragically, most people never do that. And they go through, and that's why our world is so dysfunctional. So the world runs on pride, our world loves pride, feeds pride. And there's nothing God hates more because it's killing people and it's killing relationships. And he says, for the church, it shouldn't be this way. Conclusion, how does pride manifest itself in your life? What is pride preventing you from? Like what relationships right now? And how would God, how would Jesus, like if, he, if somebody was gonna sit down with you and be like, hey, Jesus called all of us to follow him with our lives. How would he begin to say, hey, I want you to follow me and act like I act and be humble even when other people are not? It's a really painful, really uncomfortable experience. But it's one that as believers we've been invited to and when we do, it brings healing to the church. And this is something, man, I don't know if it discourages or encourages people who are listening. I am prideful. We do something called regeneration here at Watermark. It's like a recovery thing. And one of the three things that I entered into it was because I have pride in my life and I hate it. And it's through deciding and moving towards people and not having to be right, which is not, not always easy, or being okay with not getting the last word in or being okay with those things. When those are marking my life, typically it means that I'm doing better with the battle of pride. 
What's tragically happened, and I'll close here, our world is so fed this narrative to put you in the middle. Like you're the focus or I'm the focus of life and I'm the sinner and I should be the sinner and life is about me and anyone who hurt me or anything that happened to me, I need to focus on me, focus on me, 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 me. And life is not found there. It's depressing. Narcissism leads to anxiety. Narcissism like the obsession and focus of like the world revolves around me. It leads to me cutting off relationships. It comes naturally, but it leads to a place where I'm all alone, I'm cut off from God, my intimacy with other friends or intimacy with God, it cuts me off from my wife. And any time that I buy the lie that, hey man, life is about you, or you buy the lie that life is about you, you lose. There was an astronomer in the 1500s named Nicholas Copernicus. You guys know who that is? Anybody heard of him? Got a couple heads shaking. Somebody paid attention chemistry. He basically came up with something called the heliocentric theory. Heliocentric theory at that time introduced the idea that, hey, I don't think the world revolves or the universe revolves around the earth. The universe revolves around the sun. And people are like, no, that's crazy. That can't be the case. And he was like, I'm looking at these telescopes and I'm telling you guys, I think we revolve around the sun. And there's something took place called a Copernican revolution where people were introduced to the idea that, oh, the universe doesn't revolve around us. It revolves around the sun. What needs to take place in the life of every single Christian is embracing on a daily basis, the world around me does not revolve around me. It revolves around the son of God. And any time that I put myself in the middle or I'm more concerned about me and all of the things in my life that I am about God, pride is invaded in. And having a revolution take place where I put back at the center of life, Jesus, all of life revolves around Jesus. You cannot experience the life that he wants you to have, the life that our world needs, what our church needs to be without putting Jesus at the center of the story. All of it revolves around him. And that response, despite the fact that he is at the center of the universe, whether I believe it or accept it or not, he took the response that he is at the center of the universe, but even though that was true, he became a man and humbled himself to the point of even dying on a cross. And because of that, because of the reverse economy of way God works, that opposite of our world around us, God said, hey, that name will be the name that above every other person on planet earth will be exalted forever and ever and ever, that whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And he went to the greatest length of humility and humbling himself. And because of that, Paul finishes the passage and says this, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I don't know how we move forward or what it will look like when we move forward. But I know that scripture indicates that it only can happen if humility marks our life and we come to the table and we listen and there's so much division and I hate it. And I hate any ways that I'm contributing or have contributed to it or I hate even just the pain that people are experiencing. 
And I want to talk to my friends who have for so long displayed humility and patience and grace who make up the black and brown brothers and sisters in Christ. The way that you, so many of you, have pushed through pain, unspeakable pain, pain that candidly, I don't know if this has surprised you, I'm a white guy. I'll never actually experience or understand or totally be able to relate to. And yet despite that, despite all the pain that has marked your life or maybe has been a part of the story that God has written, you patiently continue, you endure suffering in the face of injustice like I may never be able to experience or will probably never experience. And you keep going. The way that you patiently come alongside other Christian believers and brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, you help them, you engage in conversations, you don't shame them, you don't dismiss them, you walk with them and you look like Jesus and you inspire me and you strengthen our church and you strengthen the body of Christ. And I'm so grateful. And I, like so many others, when I see the pain and the hurt, my heart breaks. But the answer and the next step or whatever God's going to do in our church, it will involve us coming together and listening and loving. We are blood because we have been bonded by the blood of Jesus. And I'm not going to do it perfectly and I haven't done it perfectly and I'll never do it perfectly. And I need your help. And you need our help. We are the only hope the world has. There's no solution if the people of God can't unite and be bonded. What other hope do we have? But we can, and it involves humility. I don't know what actions you need to take this week. I know some of us need to reach out and we need to make phone calls, we need to follow up, we need to ask others to help us see our pride in our life. All of which are just gonna take steps in the direction of what Jesus says is true greatness. Steps in the direction of being marked by the quality that has the potential to heal our world, to heal our hurts, and to unite our church, the body of Christ all over the world. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for just the ways that you are greater than the world around us. You are stronger. You restore, you heal, you bring unity. You know well what it was like to experience injustice. And I see in the reflection of many of my black and brown friends, I see you in them. Because I see the way that they experience injustice. It's not fair, that's not right, that's not deserved, and yet, despite all of that, they look to you they push through, they respond as you call them to, and they look like you. I pray that you would heal our land, God. You would end the division, at least in the church. We can't be responsible for the division in the world around us, but we can, as a body of Christ, come together. And so will you help us? I pray right now for every, every word and every sentence that I just spoke that someone out right now is listening to that dismissed every other thing that I said because they held on to that and rightly or wrongly, heard something that discouraged them, that you would meet them where they are with grace. You'd help us be your people. Forgive us for the ways that we haven't been. 
Unite us together. Make us like Christ. We worship you now in song. Amen.